are, are um, presented with is this, this sense of what is logical and reasonable from culture that is really the spirit of the age, the enemy that is demanding the church to bow its knee to him who rules over this present age. But as we know, that the, the, miss, the, the, message, the mission and the message of the church is to never to capitulate, to never to bow its knee, to always remain resolute, to be a beacon of truth. Amen? Right? So last week was a, a bit of a prelude, and I'll tie in that with what I want to say here today. And I introduced last week with just this idea or this truth of the really the radical nature that is the Christian life. So often we become very comfortable with this personal Christianity, unrealizing that in moments what we do is, is we actually isolate ourselves from the bigger picture and the bigger plan that God is about within humanity. And we, and we actually, I believe, downplay the beauty, the, the power, and the awesome nature that is the Christian life. And I won't reteach it, but if you didn't have a chance to listen to it, you can go online, you can watch the live stream, or you can stream it, audio, from our website. But I would encourage you to do that, because I just felt like it was a good way for us to start front-footed, to remind ourselves that not only are we otherly, not only is this, this life of ours divinely inspired because of the power of Christ Jesus that brought it into existence, not only is that, but how now we live is radically different. And that's really the heart of what this series is aimed at. So I've titled this series, Sheer Christianity, Radical Faith Amid a Deluded World, because I want to identify and I want to tackle important kingdom values that are presently under attack from the enemy through present-day cultural sensibilities and cultural values. And also, too, I felt like these values that we speak of throughout this time are going to be values that are not unique to us, but are significant to us as a community. And so the things that we speak on, I feel deeply convicted that they are both values of the kingdom, but also values that we as Capital City Church are to hold to. And I want to just begin by saying as well that these values, these cultural sensibilities, they are counterfeit. And we have to begin by, by recognizing and stating that they are counterfeit values. They pose themselves as being genuine, but when in fact they are intended to mislead and be false in the face of the believer and in the face of the church. And simultaneously, we're being led to believe that what the church has held historically, listen, brothers and sisters, we are being led to believe as a Western Christian culture that what the church has held historically, what we have learned through Scripture is out of date, it's out of context, and it's in need of being redefined through a present-day sensibilities. That's what we're being told. That's what we're being presented with as being how we should respond. I know the church has historically held to A, but it has lost its context in this present world, and so now what all of culture is decrying that you now need to redefine what that is. 
and we're going to get into what one of those is today. But what I want to say is this as we begin, that what's really at stake isn't the church's relatability, or it isn't, it isn't just our, our relatability to our neighbors or to our city. What isn't at stake is the voice that we necessarily have because we're so culturally marginalized. Church, what is at stake in this conversation is the purity of the gospel and the power that resides within it. Because when you remove the gospel from the message, there is no power to the message. The message becomes impotent. That's what's at stake. A church that is powerless because of its willingness to give an inch here and an inch here and an inch here. And the next thing you know, you look back and we're going, wait a minute. When did we surrender our rights to this traditional historical truth of the church? It's remarkable. So today, just to begin with a bit of a broad basis, I want to begin with a, with a matter that I believe is of great importance and one that is a, is a present-day battleground for cultural sensibilities. It's a subject that is literally near and dear to every human's heart, literally, and it is this, it is commitment. Commitment. Or as I want to title today's teaching, Biblical Devotion. Devotion speaks to what one loves. And I want to just give this kind of working definition today for biblical devotion. It is this, the pursuit of glorifying God. Biblical devotion, I am positing today, is the pursuit of glorifying God through our commitment and our constancy. The pursuit of glorifying God through our commitment and through our constancy. This word devotion, it speaks of what we love. It speaks of what we are loyal to. But even more than just the the feeling or the emotion that we have, devotion is the object, listen, is the object of a person's enthusiasm and their action. If you are devoted to something, not only does it have your affection, but it has then a resultant action that, that is put forth to pursuing that thing that you love. Does that make sense? So there is action that's tied to it, which is very, very important. Because if we say we love something, if we say we're devoted to something, and yet there is no action to prove that, then we are not really truly devoted. Add to this the principle of commitment. It's the pursuit of glorifying God through commitment and constancy. Commitment is this. Listen, listen to this. Commitment is this. It is the obligation that one has that restricts It is the obligation that one has that restricts your freedom of action. That's what it means to be committed. When I say that I am committed to you in brotherhood and in faith and intent as a teammate, it means that my freedom is going to be restricted when the rub hits. It means that the things that I ultimately want are subjected to the commitment that I have made. My desires are subjected to this partnership of believers. It doesn't mean that I get to just do willy-nilly whenever I want. It means that what I have... This is why covenant commitment, church, 
for us is so important. This is why we take it so serious. Because what I'm saying to you is that I am surrendering a part of my freedom, a part of my, of my own liberty in this life in order to honor and to further the commitment that I have made to you. That's profound, church. Gosh, I mean, we break commitments all the time. Why? Because our freedom is restricted. The very thing that we say we're doing, we're literally doing the opposite. This isn't convenient, so therefore, I'm going to have to pass. It's the obligation one has that restricts their freedom of action. As I read that article that I quoted a moment ago, the context that this individual was speaking of was um, in relationship to the, he was talking about the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And so as I was reading his article, I was struck by the genius that those writers had. If you're familiar, the Westminster Catechism, there's two. There's, there's the longer catechism and there's the shorter. They were both created at the same time over the course of about 10 years and hundreds of individuals who participated some 500 or so years ago. The shorter is intended for more of the lay person. I actually didn't know this. I always just thought that the longer was more embellished. Anyway, the point is this. I was struck by how pointedly and how brilliantly they come out of the gate with the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Do you guys know what that question is? What is the chief end of man? Straight away, they're dealing with this issue of heart and commitment. They're dealing with the root of desire, of worship. What is the chief end of man? And of course, we know, would you like to answer it, Michael? The chief end of man. Man's end goal is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's easy for us to just understand that broadly and to apply that in terms of worship and to say, yeah, I come on Sundays and I worship God and I glorify God. Church, my point is to say in this, it is literally every intent, every movement, every action of our life is intended to bring glory to God. And as a result of that trajectory of life, the promise is eternal and forever enjoyment with him. And present-day enjoyment and present-day fulfillment and present-day blessing, right? We experience that as well. It isn't just pie in the sky. We hope that we attain it. The chief end of man, man's ultimate goal, our obligation as a church is to glorify God. So the question for me that I want to put forward to you today in light of this idea and this this value of biblical devotion is this, who do we serve? That's just distilled down to a simple question. Who do, we do, who do we serve? In this moment, am I choosing to serve myself or will I choose to serve God? A few weeks back, I, I entitled a, a Sunday, Coram Deo, which is living in the face of God. The opposite of that is what this writer is speaking of. And he goes on and he makes this quote that I'll share with you at this time, in the same article, he says this, that the darkness of the natural human heart, it reinvents the answer to this question. 
Apart from grace, man's chief end has nothing to do with God. We live before our own face and we give no thought to forever. And here, church, is literally the heart of the matter. It's the contrasting of two worldviews, of two world systems. We have the kingdom worldview. The kingdom worldview that working from the basis that everything is God's says that whatever the cost, we are Christ's and therefore we are fully devoted to him. That is the kingdom worldview. Whatever the cost, we are Christ's and we are devoted to him. It is an upward trajectory in every moment of, the life, of our life. But the opposing worldview, the counterfeit to biblical devotion is, of course, as you could very well guess, we are oriented to ourself, and therefore we live for ourselves. We live before our own face. And I just thought that was a really great way of putting it. It's opposite of this idea of quorum Deo, that everything that we do is unto the glory of God before the face of God. Orientation is what is in that statement. This is what we deal with, church. This is what we're facing. This is what is at stake. This is what we are fighting for. This is what we must profess. And then again, I would say that the issue of cultural Christianity now actually gets closer to, the, to what I want to speak to for the remainder of today. Because on this subject, what cultural Christianity does is it lives for the first, sorry, it lives for the second, and it tries to supplement the first with the second. In other words, cultural Christianity really is just carnalness. It's led by desire. It's led by, you know, what we feel, what we, what we want. And then what we do is we try to add to it this sense of, of moral uprightness and piety by saying like, oh yeah, I'm, I'll go to church on Easter because that's when everybody goes to Easter or goes to church or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever the analogy is, or whatever the example is. What does Jesus say though? He says that no man can serve two masters for either we will hate the one and love the other or we will be devoted to the one and we will despise the other. We cannot have both, church. But see, that's the thing. See, Christians want to have it both. They want the, the title, the label, the, the, the visible holiness, if you will, of Christianity without paying the price, without counting the cost. I don't know. That's what's happening. Take it or leave it. It's true. And I said last week, I feel like the Lord wants to strip from his church those barnacles that fix themselves to the hole of a ship, that waste fuel and that slow us down. And I feel like this is a barnacle moment, church. This matter of devotion. What are we devoted to? What do we serve? What's elevated in our hearts? What has the place of Christ? And I'm not talking on broad strokes. I'm talking about day to day to day to day to day because that's where we walk it out, right? And as I often say, just picture me sitting right there and someone saying the same thing at me. This word is for me as much as it is, as it is for you. It's for his church. So that's the beginning though. That's the foundation because then we have to say, what does it look like to live this value out? 
in the day in and day out. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I am going to teach from the Bible. Before you stand up and call me a heretic or something like that. No, we're going to let Scripture now speak to us as a plumb line of truth. Romans chapter 12. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome, of course. Beginning in verse 1. Again, how do we live out this value of biblical devotion based off of what I have said? Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, verse 9. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Living in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all. What a fantastic portion of Scripture that I want to use today to just extract what I believe are some essentials to living this daily life of biblical devotion. So I'm not going to go in like we might normally do and try to just teach the text more intently, but what I want to do is just pull a few things out that I believe Paul has implied or maybe even explicitly specified within this. First, I want you to notice that Paul begins with the individual. At the beginning of verse 12, he is speaking to you and to me as an individual. And as an individual, he's speaking to the motives of the heart. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed. He's dealing with, with issues and matters of the heart first and foremost. In, ad in addition, by addressing us individually, He's also speaking to all of who we are because he speaks to both our minds and our bodies is his command. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Brothers and sisters, true biblical devotion begins with this, an utter and complete submission to God. Biblical devotion begins first and foremost and primarily as a total submission to God. That is what it is first and foremost. It's to place all of who we are upon the altar of God. And I had this picture this week as I was preparing for this morning of just that, I don't know if, you, if you've seen, I suppose if you grew up like I did within the church, there were times where I would see pictures and illustrative Bible encyclopedias and such of the altar. And it was this, of the, in the Old Testament for the temple, and it was huge. And sometimes you would even see it just like super bloody and stuff. And as a boy, you're like, oh, that's cool. You know, all that blood and stuff. But I had this picture of the altar, and literally what Paul is saying, it's like lay yourselves upon the altar. Oh, I heard that. Noah McCutcheon, I heard it. Why don't you come up here? Sit. Participate. Um, I had this picture of the altar of God. And upon it, we lay ourselves. And I was thinking, man, it is the example of Christ Jesus that he gave to us, is it not? That he literally laid himself upon the altar for us. And he calls us to do the same. And it's not unlike the rest of the Christian life, which is just a, a modeling that Christ gave for us, that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus submitted himself completely in utter devotion to the Father. And we too, in, in likeness, Follow him, and we give ourselves completely unto him. And what did he do? It was his body, it was his mind, and it was his will. It was all of who Jesus was that was given to Christ in submission. Amen? And we do the same. We do the same. Paul would say earlier in Romans chapter 6, to offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, a little bit of a reminder. Just in case you forgot, it was Christ who brought you to life. It was not you that brought yourself to life. Quit serving yourself and serve God. Quit being devoted to yourself and be devoted to God. Submission of the body, too, doesn't just mean that we avoid sinning with our bodies. Of course it does. So when he says, offer your bodies as a sacrifice, it doesn't just mean quit sinning with your bodies. It's that, but it's also more. For it's also with our bodies that what? We carry out the plans of our will. It's with our bodies that, that, that what we do is, is, is we, 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 we follow through with the intentions of our hearts, whether it is seemingly benign or even the good things. It's all of it that he is saying, place upon the altar as a true act of worship unto me. Again, I would say we're fighting off the cultural tide with this. And I think even Paul knew this because I was, as I was studying this text and just gleaning from it some of what I want to share with you today, because Paul says this straight away in verse 2. The church has always been fighting these things, brothers and sisters. We're not something unique today. It just looks maybe a little bit different. 
But Paul knew this, and Paul knew that the church in Rome was going to deal with this as well, that the, the early believers were going to deal with it. And he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed. The cultural sensibilities that keep presenting themselves, that want to come up against the truth of what you know, of what I have taught, what I have told, what I have showed and what I have modeled, and what you've seen in Christ, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind be renewed in Christ Jesus, that our desires and our intents would be renewed in Christ, and that our actions would therefore also be renewed through Christ Jesus. Don't take up what the world thinks, what it perceives as being best, but put on the mind of Christ, which you have been given by grace, and by which, as Paul says here in Romans 12, that you may discern. Who wants to discern? Raise your hand if you want to discern what is happening in this world today and how you should live. Put on the mind of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you've been given the mind of Christ by the grace of God. Church, biblical devotion, it means submission to God first and foremost. Next, I want us to see how Paul moves from the individual. Did you notice this? Verses 1 through 2, 1, 2, a little bit of 3, it's about the individual, and then immediately, what does he do? He starts to talk about the corporate expression of the body. Biblical devotion results in the expression of the corporate Christian community. We are devoted to God by being devoted to one another, as Christ has commanded us to do. And as I said, this is why we take covenant commitment so serious here at this church. It's why we have instituted it and we hold to it and we encourage you to participate in it. Because it means something when you stand up here and you say, I will live like this. I will live like this. In light of this, I will do this. Right? Doesn't it? It should. It should. It does. That's right, Judy. It does. See, it's one thing to say that we're committed and it's another thing to act as though we're committed from time to time, but it's a whole other thing to say it and to continually do it over and over and over again. If you are in this church and you have given yourself to covenant community, to, to this covenant commitment, I am committed to you. The freedom of my actions is restrained under my commitment to you. And you to me in the glorification of Christ. This commitment that we're called to in Christ Jesus, which Paul speaks of here, is a real, it's a tangible, it is a physical presence. It's not just intention and of the mind. It is saying that my commitment to you means that when you need me, I am there. Or when I ought to be, I will be, right? Can I say that? Okay. That's tough. There's rubs. That cuts across the grain. And listen, this isn't, please hear me. I think you guys do, but I'm going to say it anyway. This isn't just me as like a pastor standing up here saying like, you should be here or this, this, and this. No, it's to say, when, when we say, let's pray together, that's a commitment. That means that that commitment restrains our actions. And therefore, it supersedes sleeping in, 
It doesn't negate being tired, but maybe it supersedes having the me time. I don't know. There's reasons for not being present at things. I get that. Work, other commitments, which also restraint, right? That we have to then prioritize. That, that happens. But I'm just saying like the day in stuff, the day in and the day out stuff. When we say we're committed, are we really? When we say that we're devoted to each other, are we really? Because church, there's proof in the pudding. So this commitment that we're called to, as Paul speaks of here, is such a given in terms of its corporate aspect. Biblical devotion automatically is assumed in a corporate present presence tangible sense. It's such a given that Paul doesn't even bother to mention it. He doesn't say like, and then when you guys are together, you should do this, this, and this. He just goes straight in, straight from talking about submitting your bodies and being your, letting your minds be transformed, and he goes right into talking about what it means to be together as the collective body. This is important, church. Sunday is important. Sunday is important, doggone it. Not because I want you to hear me, but because... There's purpose in why we're together. So when you're not here, which you're here, ironically, and those who aren't here are not, so they won't hear this. <laughs> but when you're not here, it's significant. Why? Because we're not a top-down model. This isn't Pastor Matt and all of his flock. No, no, this is Capital City Church that is moving forward, and the model we have is that we just flip the, the hierarchical triangle on its, on its whatever, on its back, and it's the tip of a spear. Some of us are called to be out front, but we're all called to move together. And so there's a reason why we are here together. And it goes beyond just the Western individual mindset that, that says, you know, whatever it is, like, I need to grow, I, I want to grow, and some of those things, those, those are good things, those are good desires, but this church, and again, what I said in the beginning, you guys hearing me? We're all awake. This church is saying, we're going somewhere together. And on Sundays, when you're not here, or on, on I'll just keep ringing the bell of prayer because we're praying together Saturday, but on Saturday, when you're not present, it means that we miss out on who you are in God that we miss out on the faith that you have, that we miss out on what God has been speaking to you that he wants for you to put into his church. This is a, it's an us thing. Okay, that's enough of that. You get the point. You don't, you don't feel beat up, do you? This is, okay, this is just meant to like, what I'm wanting to do is like put a cement block and like plant our feet in it and just let it solidify so that we're fixed in something that's important and true. Okay. Oh, I love this. Oh, I'm not there yet, though. I'm almost done. Commitment is the obligation we have that restricts our freedom of action from simply doing what we want to do. And it's a given here with Paul where he's saying that this biblical devotion, this biblical commitment is found in the tangible presence of the church together. And we can see this because in verses 9, 
almost all the way down through what I read in 18, he says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, serve the Lord, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. I love that one. Rejoice with those who weep, etc., etc., etc. He shows us how to be devoted to each other. This is what devotion looks like. And if I don't think about you, or I, don't, or I think about you, but I don't bother to reach out to you, or you don't bother to reach out to me because it's not just my job to reach out to you, that means how, how am I going to know if I need to weep with you, or if I need to rejoice with you, or if I need to contribute to the needs of the saints, Right? Paul calls these, in my Bible, my title of 9 through 21 is marks of the true Christian. That's what Paul says these are. When these are present, these are indicators of the real church and not the counterfeit. If we want to know, if we are living in real, true Christianity in the sense of its expression being real and alive in our life, I'm not saying whether you're really saved or not, although there is works as a result of, as a fruit of salvation, right? But if we want to know the marks of true Christianity, we can look at these things that Paul gives to us. Are we excelling in these things? Are we mindful of them? Or are we merely living before our own face, doing what is right in our own eyes and according to our own preferences? Biblical devotion, it means, church, being committed to one another. And then lastly, and maybe slightly more nuanced, Paul articulates a devotion value in verses 4 through 8 that is resultant of our submission to God and our presence of community with each other. And it is our participation in the body. So, biblical devotion is submission to God. It means being committed to one another. But more than just being present, it means participating in whatever that is, whether it's a hub group or whether it's Sunday worship or whether it's a time of prayer or if it's coffee with one-on-one or whatever that looks like having, hosting a family in your home, it means participating in that moment. And this is what I love in verse five through six. He says, so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, verse six, having gifts that differ According to the grace given to us, what does he say? Let us use them. God has given us gifts. When we gather together, there are gifts that are present by the grace of God. And he says, let us use them. Let us participate in what God... This is what I meant by it's significant when someone is missing. Because the gift of grace that God would want to give to that individual in that moment is absent, perhaps. We don't actually really know what we miss, but we know that each one of us is important and unique and significant in the eyes of God as it pertains to what God endeavors to do. Does that make sense? Okay. Let us use them. So when we come together on Sundays, because we value our commitment to one another, it isn't enough that we would just grab our coffee, sing a few songs, listen to the teaching, and then go. Being devoted to God means being committed to one another, and being committed to one another means that we participate in the gathering of the church according to the grace that has been given to us. And this is probably also necessitates 
more teaching, which I'd like to do in the near future, about what is commonly referred to as the gifts of the Spirit or the gifts in general, which, which we believe and teach and understand to be the grace of God, unique in a moment, given to men and women for the building up of the church when the church gathers. But suffice to say for now, we can simply agree that the picture that Paul paints here is an exponentially more significant and participatory church gathered than the Western culture, Western church culture shows. Western Christianity is a lot of in and out and in and out and in and out. But what Paul is saying here, it's like, it's in, it's digging deep, it's hunkered down, it's lock arms, it's hear from God, it's respond, it's call. It's like all of these things are happening in this really unique kind of sovereign and divine ecosystem that is the church. Who wants to be a part of a church like that? I sure as heck do. And I think that we are, but I think we have growing to do. Because I still think we have to shake off that bit of a spectator mentality that we so easily find ourselves in from time to time. Being committed to one another and participating in the body of Christ, it's not individual, it's about the corporate. It's not about the, the personal, but it's about the whole. It's about all of you. I have all of you in my sight when I walk through those doors. Do you have everyone in your sight when you walk through the door? It's not self-serving, self-bettering, or self-centered, but it's about serving, bettering others, and being aware and focused on one another. So, as I said, this is what it is, and you probably already picked it up. But biblical devotion means submission to God, it means being committed to one another, and it means participation in the body of Christ. And I've got a couple minutes left. Oh, I have to say this. Will you please allow me to say this? Because I think there's two cultural sensibilities that creep in that want to thwart this biblical devotion that I've just spoken about. And it's important that we identify them. The first is this. It's convenience. And the second is privilege. Convenience and privilege. If you don't hear anything else from me this morning, now you should have heard everything else. If you don't hear anything else, go back and listen to the audio podcast and then really listen to this part. Convenience says this, it costs too much. That's what convenience says, the cost is too great. Privilege says what? I've earned the right. I have earned the right. Which of these are you most inclined towards in your heart? Or maybe which of these do you fight off regularly? This is one of those moments that I love when I just appeal to you all and I say, Take a minute of introspection. What do you fight in your own heart? Convenience or privilege? Convenience or privilege or maybe a little bit of both? Can privilege? I just made that up. Can I just say this? When we say that it isn't convenient to pray this month with our community, what are we really saying then? It costs too much. The cost is too great. Or I'm not going to you know, meet with my hub this week or I don't want to tithe this month or I don't want to give X, Y, and Z because I've already given A, B, and C. 
what we're really saying, if we get to the heart of it, is that what is being asked costs me too much. But what do we see as an example that we're given in the New Testament church in Acts 2.42? Some of you probably wondered, I wonder if he's going to talk about Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42, the birth of the church just post-Pentecost. And what do they do? They devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. Four things that are present in every single Sunday that we come together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Brothers and sisters, what if Jesus decided it cost him too much? I'm being serious. I thought about this. I was thinking, I mean, what if like, he was like, man, I gave three years. I just need a me day right now. And uh, I mean, I could say it like kind of tongue in cheek, but that's the, that's the truth. Jesus spent his entire life on this earth and never once did it cost him too much. The example that he has given to us is there is no cost that is too great. That's why Paul can say, as your act of worship for what God has done, give all that you are. All means all. Every single bit. Your mind, your will, your spiritual well-being and, and flourishing, your family, your finances, your physical health, give it all to him. Give it all to him, fully devoted. I think, that's, I think I've said enough for today. Church, can I just say, let's fight these cultural doctrines. Let's fight these cultural sensibilities. The one that calls for convenience and the other that calls for privilege. The kingdom of God will cost you everything because it cost Jesus everything. And can I just say again, you didn't earn anything because Jesus lovingly gave it all to you. So let's not hold on tight. When we have this view, it's much easier to just, just stay open-handed with everything except for our commitments. We hold to those tightly because we remember, we remember what it means to be committed. Amen? Amen. Amen.